Hello and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of February 13th, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And before I get into the market, I just want to say that the exchange ETF conference down in Miami, which I was at earlier last week, was quite a production, and I know a lot of work goes into it. There were a lot of folks, friendly faces, familiar faces throughout the ETF world that I was able to catch up with and have some interesting conversations with. And I think the Vetify team that put that conference on did a tremendous job of trying their best to evolve a conference format in a world where conferences have begun to feel very stale and repetitive and redundant in recent years. And I think it's a tribute to Vetify and other firms in the conference space that they continue to try and adapt and evolve the ways in which you deliver content in an in-person format in a conference setting. And it's no easy feat. And from where I sit, having attended it now two years in a row, it is valuable for folks like me to go catch up with other industry folks who are engaging with advisors, engaging with clients, trying to make a case for their products, trying to make sense of the markets and articulate complicated market dynamics in interesting and perhaps new ways to advisors. And that to me was the most valuable piece of the week. I had some really interesting meetings, but I also had some really interesting conversations about what people are saying and what the expectations are for 2023 and beyond and just the the backdrop of the ETF market and what people foresee in terms of growth. And one thing I can say for sure is that there are a lot of really smart people who work in the ETF world and it is a very fascinating segment of the marketplace. And one of the conversations that struck me the most, I think, is related to the sector in focus this week, which we'll get into. But back to the week at hand, the the week looked a lot more like 2022 than what we've seen so far in 2023, just in terms of relative sector performance, the ways in which the market reacted to various headlines. When you look at the week, S&P 500 was down about 1.11% for the week, and there was a day on Tuesday where the market rallied pretty significantly, and it was largely because Fed Chair Powell was speaking, and the market liked what he was saying. And outside of that, whether it was because the economic data or because just the general exhaustion of this rally we've seen so far in 2023, the rest of the week was was pretty weak in terms of action, in terms of performance. And I think there's stuff going on under the surface that the market is trying to grapple with. Of course, the jobless claims that we've seen recently, specifically initial claims, were higher than expected this week. And and a lot of what folks are hanging their hat on in terms of why we're not going to in a recession or why the recession is likely to be shallower than historical recessions is because the labor market is still so tight and the jobs numbers have been so robust. But the initial claims number came in higher than expected. And if we do start to see some indications that that labor market is not necessarily just weak in the big mega cap companies in the technology sector who seem to be laying off so many people, but actually throughout the economy, then that's one linchpin of this strong economy argument that could, in theory, 
be under siege. Now, consumer sentiment was better than expected this week. So it speaks to the fact that although consumer sentiment is lower than where you'd like it to be for a strong economic backdrop, it was better than expected and speaks to perhaps some prevailing optimism at the consumer level. Now, the thing that came in at the end of the week that I thought was interesting is we did see University of Michigan show an uptick in short-term inflation expectations. So the headlines recently, and we've got a CPI week coming up, is that inflation has been moderating. Inflation has rolled over. The components that have been driving inflation higher, whether it's energy costs, food inflation costs, have started to moderate and normalize. And as a result, we're now moving into a period where inflation is likely to, at the very least, grow at a slower rate than it had been. The flip side is, is that there is a reality here where energy prices have come in quite a bit, partly because of the re releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And if we start to see an increase in oil prices, that could once again put upward pressure on inflation. And perhaps that latest University of Michigan inflation expectation increase on the short-term side is a reflection of that. And lo and behold, on Friday, we got news that Russia is announcing a production cut that at the very least drove up Brent crude prices. It certainly drove up WTI prices, perhaps not massively, but it's an indication, of course, that we're seeing some pressure on the supply side of oil that's persistent. And although there's concerns about the demand side stemming from a potential recession, the reality is, is that oil prices globally, energy prices globally are very tight. And we also saw quietly a decline in U.S. rig count. So again, a, a week in which we didn't see a lot of action in the select sector spider lineup, just 582 million shares traded across the lineup. But when you look at the best performing sector for the week, XLE up nearly 5%, the only sector in the green, and then healthcare down just 17 basis points, staples down just 60 basis points, and utilities down just 30 basis points. That looks a lot more like 2022 than what we've seen so far in 2023. And again, worst performing sector was XLC, communication services, down roughly 5.6%. So not to say that the action we saw in 2022 from a sector level, from a market performance perspective is returning, but when you have a week like this that looks a lot more like what we were used to in 2022, it at the very least makes you wonder what's in store for the next few weeks, especially because we've got some significant economic data coming down the pike this week and in future weeks. From a flows perspective, we saw 28 million shares redeemed out of the select sector spider lineup. Seven of the 11 sectors in the select sector spider lineup saw net redemptions. You guessed it, 13 million out of XLF. That's about $450 million or so. We saw five and a half million shares redeemed out of XLE, about $500 million in net outflows. And then 4.3 million shares redeemed out of XLP, 3.7 million shares redeemed out of XLB. So a week in which comprehensively the bias was toward redemption activity, but we did see some small inflows into XLRE and XLV or healthcare. So ultimately it was a week in which you didn't see the type of action that you've seen for the bulk of the early part of 2023. And whether or not that means anything going forward remains to be seen, but it certainly should put investors on notice that what's worked so far this year may not work for all of 2023. And the economic backdrop, the indications of slowing inflation and perhaps more 
accommodative or even less hawkish policy from the Fed may or may not manifest. And to that end, I think the sector in focus this week is really relevant because we talked about it at the top of the pod in which some of the interesting conversations I had this week down in Miami at Exchange were focused on energy and framing the energy transition. And so this week we're going to focus on energy or XLE. And I think what's interesting about energy, and I know I've talked about it a lot on the pod, it it was almost impossible not to when you had this massive outperformance of the market in 2022 from the energy sector and you had this big dispersion between the best and worst performing sectors in the S&P 500 in 2022. But energy is so interesting because the short-term story for energy is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. You've got very tight energy markets, as I mentioned. You've got, by and large, fundamentals that are about as strong as any sector in the market. When you just look at EPS growth, free cash flow growth, you look at, generally speaking, the amount of leverage these companies have been able to unwind, the amount of capital that they're returning to shareholders through dividends, through buybacks and the like. And when you look at the valuation story, it's also still intact. These companies from a trailing and forward P basis still look, at least relative to the market and other sectors, as if they're potentially undervalued. You look at these companies in the in the energy sector and they've got the highest dividend yield in the market, which historically hasn't always been the case. And the concern, of course, is that when you have a high dividend yield in a sector like energy, whose markets can be volatile, that those dividend yields are fleeting. And the flip side of that is that you've got these really strong fundamentals behind them with the strong free cash flow growth, the strong ongoing fundamental improvement at the company level and an aggregate at the sector level. And so in the short term, the the story's pretty simple. Fundamental strength, relative valuations, and a macroeconomic backdrop that still remains supportive. But of course, it's a long-term timeline for energy that gets a little muddy. And what we talk a lot about at SSNC Alps is this idea that energy over the course of the next 20, 30, 40 years is going to look very different than it has over the course of the past 50 or 100 years. And that's a product of the technological innovation that's taking place. That's, of course, a product of the ongoing need to and desire to invest in alternative energy sources and implement them at scale, which is not an easy thing to do, whether you're talking about hydrogen, whether you're talking about battery technology, whether you're talking about wind and solar. And so, The reality is is that you need to build an energy allocation that's reflective of the evolution that's going to take place in energy. XLE and the companies within it are certainly going to have a role to play in that transition, and the companies adjacent to XLE are also going to have a big role to play. And XLE's makeup will evolve over time. Not only the companies in it will evolve their portfolios, you may have seen Shell one of the larger energy companies in the world just acquired an electric charging network recently. That's just an indication that these companies are spending real money. And of course, when you're generating this type of free cash flow and not necessarily earmarking a ton of that free cash flow in the form of CapEx to new fossil fuel projects, there are opportunities for you to go out and invest in renewable business opportunities, which all of these companies to a name are currently doing. So the companies that are in XLE will continue to evolve, the ones that are in there now, but also the companies that are in there in the future will evolve. We've talked about the upcoming GIX change. 
later this month and companies going from consumer discretionary to consumer staples, companies going from technology to financial services. One of the pieces of that initial GIX survey was the idea that maybe you carve out a renewable energy segment within the energy sector and you add companies in the solar space that are in technology now to the energy sector. And then maybe you add some segments of the utility space to the energy sector. That didn't go through. That's not part of this upcoming GIX change, but it's reflective of the idea that as we've talked about, GIX is going to adapt. The energy sector, as currently defined, will continue to evolve and adapt over time. And so to the extent that you can build an energy allocation that includes XLE, that includes midstream energy infrastructure companies, that includes renewable energy companies in a thematic sense, then you're really putting together a textured mosaic of energy exposure that's not defined by GIX, that's not defined by what most people think about as energy. It's defined by where the money is likely to be invested in the energy space and where money is likely to be earned and generated from a profitability perspective, from a free cash flow perspective, and where investments are likely to be earmarked. And that's, to me, the most important thing when thinking about energy is the short-term story is fairly straightforward. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this pod. It's that long-term case for energy, what it looks like, how you build it, that is going to define one of the bigger mega trends in investing over the course of the next 20 to 30 years. And the reality is, is that 20 to 30 year timeline is hard for people to wrap their minds around. I mean, you look at these LNG projects, for example, in the United States. These are projects that require a 20 to 30 year contract just to be built because you need cash flows tied to those projects to justify the investment spending. So as we talk about the energy transition and the need to switch to renewables, we have these new LNG terminals that are going to be shipping liquefied natural gas to Asia, to Europe, and are going to be doing so for at least two to three more decades. And that represents the here and now of energy. It represents the in-between and, of course, a big piece of that future state of energy. So with that, let's look ahead to next week. We do have a lot of economic data on the docket. New York Fed inflation expectations. We'll see if the short-term inflation expectations from the Fed mirror those that we saw from the University of Michigan survey. We've got CPI this week, as I mentioned. So another big week in terms of headline inflation data. We've got PPI, retail sales. We've got some manufacturing data. We've also got some housing data, housing starts, and the NAHB Home Builders Index. And we've got leading economic indicators on Friday. So we're going to get a textured view of this economy. We're going to get an insight into inflation, which, of course, is perhaps the most important economic indicator at this point in time. We're going to get a feel for the consumer through retail sales, through housing data. And then we're also going to get a feel for manufacturing activity and the state of leading economic indicators. On the earnings front, we also got a lot of big companies reporting. Coca-Cola, which of course is a very important influential company in the staple space. We'll hear from Cisco, an old world, if you want to call it that, technology company. We'll hear from Zillow, which will give us a feel for the strength of the housing market alongside that economic data we're getting this week. And then we're also going to hear from CF Industries, which I think is interesting because we've talked about materials on the pod so far in 2023. It's certainly an interesting sector to me, but that nitrogen 
fertilizer space has been so strong and, and is another segment of the commodity space and of the materials category that has very unique economic dynamics, very tight supply, and has been a very robust segment of materials over the course of the past year. So we'll see what the results are from CF and what the outlook is and how it portends to ongoing food inflation because, of course, when you think about input costs for agricultural commodities and the impact that has on end users and consumers globally, that is one very important dynamic as it relates to inflation. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone once again for joining me. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. I say I thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to catching you next time. Have a wonderful week. Take care.